Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well. Because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce that I'm now working on my next book. The title will be Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again for Men. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I'll explain eight of the 14 and how they specifically relate to men. And of course, I'll include my own personal fatigue story, along with four or five other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. This book should be ready later this year, so keep an eye out for it. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about this week's show because my special guest is Dr. Casey Kelly. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Kelly is a board-certified family practice doctor and a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. She's a founding member of the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine and also a member of the Institute of Functional Medicine and the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society. She sees patients at Whole Health Chicago, one of the Midwest's oldest and most respected integrative medicine clinics. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thanks for having me. Dr. Kelly, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually born and raised in Chicago, and I'm, I'm living in Canada now for 20 years. And I usually go back and I visit my family two or three times a year. In fact, I'll be going down to Chicago in a couple of weeks. And it's so interesting because today we're going to be talking about Lyme disease and ticks and all that stuff. And whenever we're in Chicago, we just get loaded up with ticks. Like they're just nasty down there. Just walking the dog down the middle of the street and you come back home and you've got a tick crawling up your leg. So can you explain to our listeners what is the rate of Lyme disease that's out there? How many people are not being diagnosed properly or they're just being improperly diagnosed, and, and where are the real hot spots for Lyme disease? Sure. Um, the CDC says there's something like 30,000 cases a year, but they recently upped that to more like 300,000 cases a year, and I think there are probably more that we don't know about because it's not diagnosed very well. I mean, it gets missed a lot, and it kind of goes into a chronic stage where it becomes even harder to diagnose and treat. Um, a couple of the hotbeds the biggest hotbeds are really on the East Coast, kind of centered around Connecticut, which is Lyme, Connecticut. That's where Borrelia burgdorferi got the nickname Lyme disease because of Lyme, Connecticut was a big hotbed for it when this first started. The other big hotbed for it, though, is actually Wisconsin. Um, so 
you know, Chicago, we're very, very close to Wisconsin. So we see a lot of it trickling down to us as well in the Midwest. And then I would assume for Canada that um, the closest part of Canada near uh, near Connecticut there would be uh, Quebec. And then, yeah. and then the closest to um, Wisconsin would be, let's say, uh, Western Ontario. Yeah, but you know, it's really everywhere. Everyone likes to think it's in just wooded areas, but you make a good point. I mean, it's even in urban areas uh, like Chicago. So it really is. It's found in every state, um, and I'm sure it's in, in every province in Canada as well. So literally, you could be out there walking your dog in the center of a city and still end up with a tick bite and get Lyme disease. That's what you're saying. It's possible. Yep. Okay. So can you explain to our listeners some of the signs and symptoms of Lyme disease? How would they know to ask their doctor to be tested? So there's there's two different big points, the, the acute and the chronic. Um, in acute, um, if, you're, if you're savvy and you pay attention, you can pick up on Usually, uh, the textbooks say, and what I was taught in med school, <laughs> is you get a tick bite, you get a bullseye rash, and then you get antibiotics because that's that's all you need is the tick bite and, and the rash. But most people don't know that they even got a tick bite because the ticks are so tiny. Uh-huh. Um, and most people, you know, over half actually don't even get a rash. Or if they get a rash, it's not the typical bullseye rash that people will get with a Lyme disease, the pathognomonic rash. So some people will just get large red splotches and sometimes they'll go to an urgent care, the emergency room, and they'll get diagnosed incorrectly as cellulitis, which is an infection, a bacterial infection of the skin. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be that specific rash. It can be other rashes, but not everybody gets a rash. Some people will just get flu-like symptoms. So if you get severe flu-like symptoms in the middle of summer, you need to be thinking maybe, you know, and you were just walking in the woods the week before, you know, this this very well could be Lyme disease. You need to think about that too. Usually though, like I said, usually people don't get a rash. They don't know that they had a tick bite. They might get a little bit of a cold and they don't think much of it and it kind of clears up and goes away. Um, and so they don't think much of it until it starts to become much more of a chronic issue. Um, most chronic people are going to have symptoms like joint pain or swelling, um, fatigue, chronic fatigue, brain fog, focus, concentration issues. Um, they can have mood changes. You know, they used to not really have anxiety. Now, all of a sudden, anxiety is a huge problem for them. Um, also, heart issues. Some people will have arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats and palpitations. So there's lots of different manifestations of it. It's actually called the great mimicker. We used to call that, um, we used to call its cousin, its cousin um, syphilis, which is also a spirochete, which is the kind of bacteria that Lyme disease is. Uh, we used to call that the great mimicker, and now Lyme disease has kind of taken over that, that name because it has so many different manifestations that mimic so many other diseases and problems. So it can be, it can be actually kind of hard to diagnose and hard to find. So really for the listeners out there, there are no typical signs and symptoms for Lyme disease. So if you've been struggling with your health and seeing all kinds of doctors, having all kinds of tests done, feeling that you're not really getting anywhere, it might be time to think about getting tested for Lyme disease. So Dr. Kelly, if we just talk about the conventional medical healthcare system, what are some tests that patients could ask their doctors for 
and then what are more of the like alternative holistic tests that could be run? So for Lyme disease specifically, the CDC recommends a two-tiered step process. One is a screening test, and it's usually a test called an ELISA screening test. If that's positive, then they will go on to do a Western blot. And a Western blot looks at different proteins and the antibody reactions to those proteins on the bugs. Now, the problem with that is the screening test often misses about half of the patients. Um, So it's not a very good screening test, actually. Um, There is a a screening test that's slightly better. It's called a C6 ELISA test uh, for Lyme disease, which you can request that. That's just a normal lab test, uh, which is a little bit more specific at picking up um, patients, but, you know, still not the world's best screening test. Um, But you can ask your doctor to run both of those for you. Um, I think the, the Western blot is a much more important test. It gives us a lot more information than the screening test. Um, the Western blot through typical labs, though, tend to only run one strain of the bug, and they don't run all of the bands. And, and part of that is due to um, some vaccines that were developed um, and some, some other reasons why they, why they don't run them all. What do you mean by all of the bands? Explain so, that. Sure. So... The bands are, I like to describe it as the bands are little proteins that stick out from the bugs, and the bands are the antibody responses to those proteins. So they're trying to find different responses to the bugs. And they use two different antibodies. One is IgM and one is IgG. Now, IgM is typically thought of as more of an acute infection. So if you, if you just got infected with something, that IgM will be high. And IgG is usually more of a chronic uh, antibody or, or like a memory antibody so that your body is prepared if it ever runs into that bug again. Um, it's a little different with Lyme disease because Lyme disease can kind of hide out and, and, and elude the immune system and then come back out so that IgM can stay positive for a very, very long time. Um, but typical labs will not run the full panel. So they only do three bands, for example, on the IgM, uh, only two of which are really super specific for Lyme disease, for Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, So there are other labs out there that will run the full Western blot. Um, My favorite is probably Igenex labs. Mm -hmm. They do two strains of the bug, not just one, and they do every single band. And they grade them. It's not just negative or positive. It's negative, indeterminate, and then it goes up to four plus. So I think you get a better idea of, of what kind of reactions your body is having to that to that bug if it's there. So for our listeners out there, if you want to be tested for Lyme disease, ask your doctor about running an ELISA test and a Western blot. You can even ask for the specifically the C6 ELISA test. And if your doctor is really savvy, ask them about specifically testing through Igenex. Yes. There are some other tests out there that are available. Unfortunately, the testing that we have for Lyme disease, it's just not great. It's just such a, it's a very, very smart bug and it eludes our immune system to protect itself. And so these tests can be very, very difficult and hard to find. Um, So I think we're still waiting for um, better long-term studies to show what other tests can help, really help us determine if the disease is there or not. There are cultures available that can take up to eight weeks, if not longer, to, to run. Um, and there are some T cells, which are a different kind of antibody tests. You know, there are different tests that are out there and available. And 
if you really, really want to find out if it's there and, and, and you need to have that lab proof, you know, you can explore these different options um, to see if it will show up because Lyme won't, well, like I said, it's very smart. And sometimes it only shows up in the culture in a PCR, which is another test that you can run. So sometimes you do have to kind of play investigator and keep looking underneath all of these stones to see if you can find it. So Dr. Kelly, are you saying that you could do all of these tests and all of these tests could come back as normal, but you could still have Lyme disease? Yes, that's possible. Oh boy. So how often in your practice do you just assume there's probably Lyme disease and just instead of running all the testing, just hop straight into doing treatment and just do a trial of therapy to see, does this patient get better if I treat them for Lyme disease? Mm -hmm. That happens. Um, a fair amount. I think it requires a big conversation with the patient, you know, and so they understand what you're doing, what what treatments be that, antibiotics, herbs, you know, whatever you guys decide to do together, um, and and kind of knowing actually, you know, the CDC does not require any form of lab to diagnose Lyme disease. This is this is straight off of their website. You can look it up. You need two things to diagnose Lyme disease. You need to have a probable exposure. And you need to have the signs and symptoms of Lyme disease, which are very diverse, so as that, I mentioned before. that could fit a lot of people. Exactly, exactly. So if it's not showing up in the labs and you have a very, very strong clinical suspicion that that's what's happening, then I think it's worth talking to the patient and deciding, you know, let, let's try this and let's see if you're doing better. You know, if that, that, I think that's a reasonable option as long as you have a conversation with the patient and everyone agrees that that's the best way to go forward. So a good doctor will always have a conversation with a patient saying, here are the pros and cons of running testing, formal testing, and spending the dollars on that. And here are the pros and cons of assuming you most likely have Lyme disease and doing a trial of therapy and see how you do on that, right? Right. So um, you talked, you just glanced a little bit about treatments. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about treatments? Um I guess one of the questions that I have, and I suspect a lot of people out there have this, is if they do have a tick bite, should they immediately go to their doctor and get a course of antibiotics? Well, it depends on where you live, too. I think if you live in Connecticut or Wisconsin, then you need to have some some kind of acute treatment, be that antibiotics or, or herbs or homeopathy. Um, there are also several different locations where you can take the ticks and you can send the ticks in and they will test the ticks for Lyme and co-infections. Um, and one of them is tickreport.com, but there are several others where you can send them into and usually it's a small fee, but that's another way to find out too. If that tick has Borrelia burgdorferi and it bit you, mm. then chances are you have it. So that's another good way to help if you get an acute tick bite and you see the tick bite. Um, there are a couple different ways to, to do that. Um, the CDC recommends a couple weeks of antibiotics. I think most Lyme literate docs don't think that two weeks is enough, usually at least 20 days, if not longer, depending on symptoms. So if you, if you develop symptoms, if you develop joint pain and, and flu-like symptoms and things right away and you go on antibiotics and they don't get better, then you just stay on the antibiotics for a few more months, at least three months, to, and to see if they will clear if you're lucky enough to catch it that early, you have a pretty good shot of clearing it. You just need to stick with it. There are some other herbal, herbal excuse me, and uh, homeopathic treatments that you can do as well for acute tick bites, as well as 
herbs like astragalus that you can take if you live in a Lyme endemic area to help prevent the transmission, from preventing from getting the infection itself in the first place. So, um, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of treatment options. Yes, natural and conventional. Mm-hmm. So about your the tick, about testing the tick because I didn't know about that. Yeah. So my my husband he does these orienteering races. So he's out there in the bush for like hours on end, um, running around with a compass and a map. And especially when he's done these races in Chicago, he's come back with massive amounts of ticks. But he also races in upper New York State. And one time he came back home and he forgot to do a tick check before he hopped in the car and drove home. And so the next morning he woke up and he's like, oh, what is this on my back? And he had this big welt on his back and we could see a tick fully embedded in his skin. And I tried to pull this tick out and Dr. Kelly, you know you're getting old when your your eyesight when your eyesight starts to go, you know, and I'm like trying to see this, you know, tick to pull it out, but my, my eyes are getting bad. Anyways, I could only pull out half the tick and the head was still embedded in. So in cases like that, could we still have sent the tick off to tickreport.com? Do you know? As far as I know, yeah, I think you could. Okay. I'm not sure if they require the entire tick (laughs) or if they can just do it with a half, but I would imagine they could do it with just half. Yeah, because once it's buried in there, man, it's hard to get off. Mm-hmm. Do you have yeah. any? Do you have any um, <laughs> tips for that? Tweezers, um, and there are these little oh, I forget tick twisters. Yeah, there is a gadget. I think yeah. I think you're right. It's called a tick twister, and and you just kind of twist the the tick off. What you don't want to do is light it with a lighter or any of those. Kind of things you want to try and just grab if you have tweezers you just want to try and grab it from the head and pull directly out so tweezers with the pointy ends that's what I learned yeah okay so Dr. Kelly can you give us an example uh, a case from your private practice keeping the patient's information confidential but can you give us um, a real live case where a patient was really struggling with their health and you figured out they have Lyme disease and the treatment that they went through and then um, how they responded to treatment. Sure. Yeah, I have a couple good ones, but I'll I'll start with, I have a 17-year-old girl. 17, wow. 17, and and her biggest complaints were really mood issues. Um, A lot of anxiety, OCD-type tendencies, anger, um, and they came on rather abruptly, and it was around the time that she was 15, 14 or 15, and she hadn't really had any mood issues up until that age. And then all of a sudden, she just became almost became a different person. Um, even to the, to the point where she was suicidal, she's, she's been in some inpatient and outpatient therapy. She's been on every medication you can possibly think of and, and didn't respond. And I got a lot of bad side effects from these medications. And, and her mood's just not better. She's just not happy and um, struggling. And, you know, her mom is, you know, obviously is very distraught because her, you know, her baby is no longer herself and there's nothing that they can do to help. Um, so you start, you know, it's things like that where you start to kind of dig into the history and you go, okay, did this just happen when you, you know, had your first period and puberty and you have a long family history of these kind of things happening? And no, none of that stuff. But, 
they live in northern Illinois and they spend a lot of time outside and in the in the forest preserves and she didn't remember getting a tick but they do have dogs that have ticks that's another question you know if the patients don't remember getting ticks but they know that their dogs had a lot of ticks then mm-hmm. they've probably been exposed to ticks as well so um, I did the test for her and she I did an IgenX on her and she was positive So we started treating her with antibiotics, and this was a struggle because she was a 17-year-old girl who just didn't want anything to do with doctors. She had seen enough doctors, you know, so she was just fed up. And so it was very difficult to to kind of convince her. But we convinced her, and and she started taking the antibiotics, and I saw her on my schedule about a month, about six weeks after she started on the antibiotics, and I was just thinking, oh, no, I hope she feels better. You know, (laughs) what else can I do for her? You know, already preemptively kind of thinking, okay, what else, what else, what else? She came in. She was smiling. She was happy. She was joking with me. I was floored. She was a new person. And it it was only within six weeks of being on the antibiotics that she was a completely different person, Um, much happier. She was off of all of her psych meds, doing well in school. It was a phenomenal turnaround. That's amazing. Yeah, those are the stories that keep you going. (laughs) <laughs> and then you had another story. Oh, I, you know, the other one that popped into my head right away, though, is it's another child, actually. Mm. Uh, it's a family. It's become a family affair. It's interesting because I'll see one one kid or a, a mom or a dad, and then I end up seeing the whole family because it does tend to, you know, be a family affair. Um, and I had a little four-year-old girl come in who was on the autism spectrum, and I started her actually um, with, and this family also has the perfect history, by the way. They, they live a um, little south of the city, but they live in a very wooded area. Um, lots of t- possible tick exposures, um, lots of animals. And um, I started her with the functional medicine for our you know, gut mm-hmm. rehab. Um, and that mm-hmm. made huge impacts in and of itself, which I always love to see. Um, but then we started treating her with antibiotics, um, and she had been on antibiotics for two weeks. And her mom said, "You know, she's speaking in sentences. She's looking at us. My entire family is flabbergasted by the changes in this little girl." Um, so, you know, there are some really, really great stories. You know, there are also a lot of patients that that take a lot longer. I think if you've been sicker longer, if you're older, if you have other issues going on, it's going to take a lot longer to kind of weed through it all and, and get you feeling better. So they, unfortunately, not everybody gets well that soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those are two amazing stories. And again, as you were saying, it is the great mimicker. Mm-hmm. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Kelly, we're starting to run low on time. How can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. Uh, one of the best places to start is uh, my clinic's webpage. So it's www.wholehealthchicago.com. It's W-H-O-L-E-H-E-A-L-T-H Chicago.com. You can link to my bio and learn more about my clinic there. I also do have a Facebook page, Dr. Casey Kelly, and it's K-E-L-L-E-Y M-D. So you can find me on there too. I like to post a lot of stuff on there as well. And you can message me through that, through either place, place. Actually, you can get a hold of me, phone call or email through either our website or our Facebook page. And besides those two resources, do you have any other really good resources for patients who are interested in learning more about Lyme disease? I think the best place to start is probably LymeDisease.org or the ILADS.org. 
there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, know, you have to you have to be wary of that. Um, and those are two of the better places to get started. Um, and they'll they'll link you to the right places too. Okay, perfect. So for our patients out there that are in your car right now, or you're on your bike, or you're jogging away. I'll make sure that all of those links are in the podcast notes so you can easily find those resources that Dr. Kelly just mentioned. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for being my special guest today and explaining Lyme disease. This has just been an awesome interview. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. This wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Casey Kelly. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carrie.